Well, and I think that's a powerful thing that I want to convey to everybody listening. No matter what anyone's ever told you, you are safe inside yourself. I mean, it may not always be true that you're physically safe where you are. You are loved and you are worthy. It's all there is. I think it is. I mean, it's the most important gift you can give. That's Tara Harrison, and I'm Brian Falchuk. The Do A Day Podcast. Where you hear from the most inspiring people who have been through hard times, overcome them, and have turned around to help others with what they've learned. I'm your host, Brian Falchuk. I know because I've lived it myself. I've written about it in my book, Do A Day, and that's why I'm bringing you this show. Remember, today's a new day. Go out and do it. Hey, day doers. I've got a really powerful episode for you guys today. Um, Just an absolutely beautiful human being who went through a not so beautiful time. Um, A lot, you know, a lot of my guests do. Uh, I want to give you fair warning up front if you listen to Madeline Black in episode 59. This is a similar feel to it, one of, um, you know, it's a fairly explicit nature. Uh, one of abuse, and uh, uh, you know, maybe it may be too tough for some folks to listen to, or maybe you want to be mindful of the audience if you're playing this out loud. Um, you know, certainly not appropriate for the workplace or for young children. Uh, there's talk of sexual abuse, of mental abuse, and uh, yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough for a lot of people to hear. So I want to put that out there up front. Um, this is Tara Harrison, who's a licensed professional counselor down in Texas, uh, who focuses on relationships. And Tara and I connected a while back um, when I was, you know, out doing uh, podcasts and whatnot about Do A Day. She reached out to me and, um, you know, thought the message was really useful for what she's seen amongst different couples that she's tried to work with. Um, She being a victim of both sexual and mental abuse as a very young child and then as a young adult, uh, that really informed the work that she does now to try to help people uh, who have who have been through these traumas and where those traumas may be affecting their relationship today. Um, so we get pretty deep into that, into her story. Um, I think she's just such an amazing human being. She's very open about what she's been through. Uh, she's very comfortable with herself, with her message, and, and that's really necessary to do the work that she does. And I think you'll see that as we go through the discussion. Um, Tara also has been helpful to me as I gear up for my next book, which is all about relationships. Uh, you know, not just the romantic ones or, you know, with our, our parents or our spouses, but really any relationship. Since that's her expertise, uh, she was just really helpful for me along the journey and, and helping to give me guidance and a bit of validation that, you know, she read the book and it's a very early draft, very rough, and um, just had some really beautiful things to say about how she could see it helping people, uh, you know, in her practice or from her practice and, and the work that she does. So that meant the world to me. Um, she actually offered to write the forward to the book, which is, is pretty amazing. Um, so I'm incredibly thankful to her for that. And if you're curious about 5075100, I know I've said this before, but make sure you're signed up for my updates so you don't miss a beat. I will let people know when the book's coming out. It's planned for later this year before the holidays. Um, the joke I keep saying is what better gift to give someone you love than a book all about dysfunctional relationships? And they might look funny at you like, wait, what do you mean? Why are you giving this to me? How do you feel about a relationship? Um, no, it's... Uh, we can all do better in our relationships, even the best ones, right? Even the most loving and supportive ones could still be better and they could still have even more understanding of each other. And that's, that's why it's such a universal notion. Um, but I am so thankful to Tara for her help with my journey and bringing that book out for her openness and sharing everything about her own journey and for the work that she does today, uh, in her, therapy practice in her podcast, Make More Love, Not War, and just who she is as a person. So let's jump in to this episode with Tara Harrison. Tara Harrison, thank you so much for joining me in today. Oh, you're welcome. It's an honor to be here. That's exciting for me. I I remember when you guys had me on your show uh, 
it's just how much we clicked and it all just kind of flowed. It was a lot of fun. And I've been very lucky to stay connected to you since then and to follow the show since then. Some very entertaining and educational content. Um, it's cool seeing the photos from some of the uh, the live recordings that you guys do. See what it's like when you get all your friends together for those. I forget what you call them, like all the ladies together. Yeah, well, it used to be called Wine with Wine, and we did not think that was very empowering or descriptive of what we were doing. It's it was not very whiny. Catchy, but yeah, yeah, we don't whine. We're, so now it's called the it's called Shameless Sexual Revolution because uh, we're all talking about sex and we're shameless, obviously. Yep. So, uh, which is a huge thing to overcome, especially for women talking about sex. And then um, all of our women are shameless rebels. So we just have a lot of fun cool. with it, too. You know, we love being shameless rebels. The, the other wine part is real, though. There's definitely wine flowing. Oh, yeah. yeah There's yeah. wine flowing. We, we do the podcast at a winery called Farina's Winery in Grapevine. Um, there's a lot of wineries in Grapevine. It's a big wine town. So, cool. um, yeah, it's definitely fun. And the uh, there are always people walking by, look, putting poking their heads in. And <laughs> like, like, what is going they, on they here? They walk by and they're like, did I just hear butt plug? Or, you know, like, oh, what man. are they talking about? Well, so usually uh, I get the, the non-explicit rating on iTunes. I've had one episode where I've had to be like, like I'm furiously writing down all the points in the timestamps where the guy was swearing. I'm like, you know what? I should just let it go. So... I, this one may need to just get the E on it. We'll we'll have to see. Um, okay. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. I'm not worried either way. Uh, it's probably not safe for kids, some of the stuff anyway, so not a big deal if it gets an E rating on it. Um, so maybe that's a little bit of a background on what we're going to get into. But before we dip into the heavy stuff, can you give us the the high level, what is it that you do today? And then we'll build up to what got you in that place in the first place. Sure. So um, I obviously have the podcast. Our podcast is called Make More Love, Not War. And our mission is sexually liberating, or no, hold on, let me say that again, <laughs> liberating women sexually and men emotionally so we can all have more sex and less fighting. And so that I actually, it's kind of a funny story with that. I started the podcast with my husband. He's my co-host. And the reason I started initially, I'd never even listened to a podcast, but he kept encouraging me to do it. And then I was, I really wanted him to go to therapy with me. We had things we needed to work through in our relationship. And he was really resistant as a mm. lot of people are understandably. And uh, so I, I thought, well, what feels safe for him? to talk about these things. And he loves listening to podcasts. It, it, it's a business venture. Yes. He feels very safe in that. And so we started the podcast and I had therapists come to us. And, um, and so I had a lot of, we've interviewed a lot of wonderful experts on the podcast. And um, so it's been great for our marriage. We've worked through a lot of things we need to work through around sex and relationships. Um, but also I wanted therapy to be transparent for people, mm. for, for people who, um, who really are needing to work through things, which who, who doesn't, um, but who feel like therapists are judging them or they, I mean, they just don't even know what therapists are like and being a therapist and I'm talking about this, my stuff I've healed from and yeah. just being relatable and being myself and authentic and stuff. I was hoping that might help also people who are like my husband that um, want to improve their relationships, but feel, um, feel afraid that they're going to be judged. Or a lot of times his thing was like, Oh, well, you're a therapist. So they're going to side against yeah, me. Yeah. And so like, I've heard that a lot, you yeah. know, from a lot of people. Um, and I do, and I'm a, I, I do couples therapy. So that comes up a lot. Um, and so I just kind of wanted to start breaking that down, like that that's not what it is. And I mean, yeah, I'm not saying I can't speak for all therapists. I'm not saying that hasn't happened to anybody. But yeah, um, but yeah I mean, that's that's why I started the podcast. And then I've been doing um, relationship therapy. Um, well, actually, I started with my parents. <laughs> <laughs> As a lot um, of us do. Yes. Uh, my parents used to come to me when they were having fights and um, starting when I was probably pretty young, like eight or 10. And I would help explain them to each other and wow. uh, maybe inappropriately help them resolve their fights. And um, like, you know, my dad would leave. He'd be all mad. and I'd be explaining to my mom. He just needs to cool off, give him some time, like all of this oh stuff. God. So I've loved relationships and I like, I can't get enough of them. I watch all the relationship shows on TV. I'm talking like the bachelor and all that stuff. 
Um, but also I've gotten a lot of training in that. I'm, I've um, done a Gottman training and I'm um, working on getting Gottman certified, which is uh, next year I'm going to do that. So I've done all the way up to level three, which is as far as you can go before you get certified. And I really love Imago work and stuff like that. And I don't want to get too technical. But anyway, I love working with couples. And I also really love working with individual men and helping them understand themselves emotionally and be able to understand their partners in relationships or be able to, um, if they're dating or if they want to be in a relationship, get to a place where they feel ready. Like that is That is my passion. I love that. So I want to... I want to understand why that, like that demographic specifically, but before hitting that, the, like what you were just saying about your relationship with Jeff and using the show as a way to work through that stuff in public. I think there's this perception that like those experts over there have everything perfect. Their life's fine. The grass is super green over there. I'm struggling. They don't understand me. Or they learned it in a textbook and now they're talking at me, but they don't really know. So the way that you're doing that openly, vulnerably, and like bringing the world along for the ride and showing them like, no, it doesn't matter what degrees you have or don't have or what you, you know, your expertise is or isn't, you can still struggle with things on a daily basis and that's okay. Like it's, it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's nothing to hide, get it out in the open, work through it. And like, we're all human beings. We all go through things. Yes, absolutely. And I think I, the word you brought up, you know, shame, that is something that I am just trying to bust through all around yeah. um, being able to bust the shame around sex for women and the feeling of shame about having feelings and expressing them for men and understanding their feelings and feeling, yeah, just, just the feeling that we all have, like other people have all of their stuff together and we don't. Right. And that's so not true. And it's so disconnecting to feel shame. Yeah. Um, but it's everywhere. All right. So oh, yeah. I, I can understand like why, why the male demographic, like, what does that speak to you? Well, um, so uh, on a, I guess, more of a pure selfish level, um, I really love working with men because I feel like um, the the recipients of what I'm helping them work through being there. I'm talking about men who are in relationships with, with women generally. I mean, um, I'm not, I don't only work with that, but that's generally what, what I, who are the kind of guys I work with. And um I feel like I'm helping a sister out too. Like okay. I know that they're going to, you know, they're going to go home and they're going to work on these things with their partners. And these women are like me and they want to learn how to connect with their husbands more. And they're saying, I need, I need to know that uh, you're emotionally safe and that you're trustworthy and that you're going to be who you say you are. And I need to know who you are emotionally. And so as I'm helping men work through that kind of stuff to be able to show their partners who they are and be vulnerable, um, then I know that, that there are women at, there are women at home, uh, quote unquote, or wherever they are, who are really feeling relationship satisfaction from that. And that makes me feel really good. But oh, I also really just cool. really, I love, I love working with men. I just, I just think that, um, and, and it's, I don't even know what it is. I just, I think it's been healing for me on one level. I know we're kind of going to get into that a little yeah. bit more because I've had really negative things happen to me with men. And so the more that I work with men and, and just see their good hearts and, you know, guys that are coming to therapy or guys that are really wanting to work on things, they want to improve their relationships. They're, I, I love my male clients. They're such good hearted men and they, you know, they're very well intentioned and I'm just helping them understand um, their partners. And once they do, oh, they, it's like a light bulb and it's just beautiful. I love it. Oh, that's really cool. Well, first of all, you don't, you don't need to apologize or call it egotistical or anything like that. If that's what you enjoy, you should do it. And that's like, most of us don't have the pleasure of doing something we truly just enjoy. And that's, there's no shame in that for sure. Um, it is really interesting for me, um, having done a few interviews with people who are survivors of abuse, um, particularly, female survivors who become therapists, you're the second one who prefers to work with men. And it wasn't that, for the other person, it wasn't that way at first at all. Um, but she got to a place where that's actually her focus now. And it, it touches a little bit on what you're saying, you know, like trying to maybe fix the world a bit, the world that she was hurt by. Um, but also maybe understanding 
some of the issues they may be facing because she was on the recipient end of it. Um, so I'm, I'm so curious to dig into your story. And I know I just kind of cheated a little bit and gave a bit of away, but I want to turn it over to you and, and tell us about, you know, what, what created this focus for you? Where did you start from? So how far back are you wanting to go? As far back <laughs> as you need to go for your story. It's yours. It's not mine. Okay. Um, so, well, in, in this context of talking about um, healing from sexual abuse and getting to a place where you can really connect with your, um, well, or, well, for, for me, that I, I can't speak for someone else, but for me, where I could really connect with my partner, with my husband, Jeff, um, he's, he's the only man that I've been in a relationship with that I could fully connect with that I did the work to get to that point. Um, so, and that goes back all the way to when I was four and I was first uh, sexually abused. And um, the thing that I, that comes up a lot with other people that I had to learn for myself is people will say, well, this happened when I was really young. I should just be over it by now, you know, like that. And that is a message that we're not just giving ourselves. We get that from other people. And um, I, I, so I'm just going to drop a little science on that and why you're not over it is because, um, when you're younger and you have traumatic events, your neural networks are forming at amazingly fast rates because your, your um, brain is forming the neural networks and then it prunes the neural networks and all of this work is being done to create the adult brain. So when trauma happens to a child, um, the, the earlier it is often the more uh, intense the effect because it forms this neural network around this message. And for me, the message was, I'm not worthy of protection. Um, and I'll explain that. So um, the man who abused me, and then there was shame around sex, and I can talk about that too, but the man who abused me was a family friend. And so um, I don't know how many times it happened. I was four, so some things are, are pretty, um, I just uh, yeah, they're, they're pretty like, I just don't know anyway. But so I, um, his, his daughter was a year younger than me. And, um, so we, I would go over there for play dates and I guess the, that her mom wasn't there and just her dad was there. And so, I mean, my parents trusted this couple. My mom had known her mom since she was in high school. So these were like, these were family friends. So I would go over there and, um, and then he would abuse me and his daughter together. And of course, at the time, I didn't realize it was abuse. I just thought, well, her daddy plays with us in a different way than my daddy ever did. And, and, um, and he, uh, he as, as abusers do, now that I understand more about this, he groomed us. Um, of course, she was already pre-groomed. Who knows how long this had been happening to her. Um, but he, he, he pre-groomed us, making us feel special. Like, Oh, we only, I only do this with y'all and we all do this together. And so, um, he, he, he actually taught me how to masturbate and he, he had us touch him. And, um, and it was like this, you know, special time. I remember we were in his bed and he would have us like sit on his lap and touch his penis. And, um, and then he would have us touch ourselves. And, and then I remember a time when he was taking me home and he was touching me in the car. And there was a lot of pleasure in that, you know, because I had a physiological response. And then I felt special because he had groomed me that way. Like, this is a special thing we're doing. Your daddy doesn't do this. Like, you're really special to me. So we're doing this together. So there was this feeling of being special, but then also feeling like this is this is not something anyone's ever done with me. So I don't know if it's okay but even at that, and I don't know if it's because he told me or what it was, but I, I felt like my parents couldn't handle that information. So I didn't tell them for a long time that I was being abused or that I had been abused and that it was ongoing. And um, when I did, I didn't even tell them it was me. I told them that it was her and that I had seen it because I... I felt like they would think I was dirty. And so the other little phrase in my head is dirty little girl. That was how I felt about it. Like I was a dirty little girl. I wasn't worthy of protection. Um, and the reason I felt not worthy of protection is how my parents handled this whole situation. Once they did find out it was me, they chose not to prosecute him or do anything about it. 
And the reason they chose this is because they thought that it'd be more traumatic for me if we had to go to court or anything like that. And they also had this idea that we should forgive him and, um, and that he could be uh, rehabilitated, which at the time, this was in the early 80s, um, sexual childhood ch- um, pedophiles, they did think that they could be rehabilitated. And that was a a thing like forgiveness and all this stuff. So my parents explained to me why he did this to me. Oh, poor guy. He'd been, um, his mom would take him to, to bars when she picked up men. And he, you know, had this terrible view of women because of that. Like they tried to make me feel sorry for him because of what he did to me. And I never felt like anyone cared about what happened to me. Like it was just feel bad for this guy that did this awful thing to you. And in fact, afterwards, and this is thing I still don't understand. And my parents have not been able to explain it. He was in a drunk driving accident. And that's scary enough to go and see somebody that has pins in their heads because I think he broke his neck or something. And they brought me over to see him. And he was still, even though his, even though his, um, um, they had known that he had done, he had abused his daughter. He was living in a little like shed or a small house next door to the house his daughter lived in with his wife. And so they were still like exposing her to him. I don't, I mean, this is all messed up. I just don't understand it. Um, but my dad brought me back over there to see him. And then my parents allowed him to send Christmas cards to me every year. And he sent money and gifts and like they allowed this. And I, I don't, understand why still like I I mean on an adult level I do um they thought that was they were doing the best they could at the time that's what I've been able to accept you know that they were young parents and they really screwed up the way they handled it you know they did um so all of this gave me this huge message of other people are more important than you. You're not worthy of protection. You're a dirty little girl anyway. And it like stacked my whole life up. I was bullied when I was a kid because, you know, kids can smell that. Like they know when you don't feel yeah. good about yourself. I was bullied. I, um, when I was 13, I was, um, I was almost raped again by a guy who was like 23 and my friend like busted the door in and came in. And, and so I, I was, um, I was, and it's weird how the whole situation was repeated because this guy was just like, please just touch my penis. Just like, that's what happened with, uh, with, um, my abuser, his name is BK. That's what happened with BK. Um, you know, he was wanting me to touch his penis. And so again, this whole situation happened again with this 23 year old guy and I was 13 and, um, but, but luckily I, I didn't, I, there wasn't like a fully penetration rate, but there was still rape. He was still having yeah. me touch him and, you know, and I didn't want to and all of that. Um, and I never told my parents about that until later. And this is the thing that sucks again, is that I did tell my parents that I wanted counseling when I was in early high school and they said, no, um, they said to keep it in the family and, um, yeah, so they, they wow. denied counseling for me. I did finally start counseling when I was in college. Um, that happened, and then um, – so then I had some other things happen, you know, like hashtag me too things happen where uh, I worked at a restaurant, and the busboy grabbed my breasts, and I told my manager, and they laughed it off, and they did not do anything about it. Wow. Um, so, again, it just kept stacking up of, like, I'm not worthy of protection, nobody cares that these things are happening to me. It's just because I'm a woman and this is just what I'm going to have to deal with. Um, is so, so that's where I like all the things I experienced leading up to me getting into relationships. I didn't even really have my first boyfriend until I was in college. I was really, um, scared of relationships. I, I, I did like when I was 13, I had some boyfriends, but it was still, I still got re-traumatized with that because even my boyfriend when I was 13 and he was 14, he cheated on me by having sex with another girl. And cause I wouldn't have sex. I was too afraid and yeah. really wasn't the right time for me. And I'm glad I didn't, but, um, yeah, so I just had a lot of really negative experiences. Uh, but at the same time, this is so weird. I had a great relationship with my dad, except in the back of my mind, I'm like, why didn't you protect me like this? Yeah. 
you know, was, was really playing all the time. Like it just, it never, I, I never felt like I could really fully trust him again after that. Yeah. Was it like uh sort of cordoning off like two versions of your dad? Like if we're going to move forward, yes. this is the man that I call my father. And there's this other man who didn't protect me, who allowed these things, who, when I spoke up, he put me down. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember when I, when I started um, having my own sexual awakening. And when I asked for counseling, I had a lot of dreams of my dad raping me around wow. that time. Like, you know, just because, um, like if he didn't protect me from this, then maybe he could be a guy like this was yeah. what it was in my head. Yeah. And I brought that into all of my relationships, you know, of like, well, I don't know if I can fully trust this man because he could be a guy like this. Like my dad didn't protect me. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the, the person who is front and center, most supposed to protect you. Didn't yeah. do it. Yeah. Um, wow. I, you know, a, as a, as a parent, my wife and I were talking about this the other day with the whole me too movement. People were like, you know, as the father of a girl or as the, it's like, you don't actually have to have a daughter or a sister or a mother to know that this isn't okay. Like people, you know, it's like, well, I have friends who are black. It's like, no, that doesn't mean that what you said isn't racist. Like you don't, it's just humanity. Like you, we know that these things aren't okay. Whether you have a daughter or not, the treatment or a son or a whatever, the treatment of another person like that is not okay. To do that as a parent to your own child, whether you're the abuser or allowing it, I have a very hard time um, just understanding what allows you to go that next step, either in allowing it or actually perpetrating it yourself. And yeah, it's it's not something I can understand except for, you know, there there's always some backstory as to why their brain is working that way. And it doesn't make it okay. That's the thing is like, no, you don't that's the feel point, bad yeah. for them. Does it doesn't not excuse make it. it. Okay. It might explain that's why, but that doesn't, yeah, it doesn't allow it. Yeah. It took me a long time to get that. It took me a long time to get that. I was in um, a very emotionally abusive relationship because of that, because I was like, well, he, he was hurt in childhood, so yeah. I can help him heal like all this stuff. And that was all that replaying in my mind, you yeah. know, because I had to learn through that, that even if you understand why somebody, even if you can have empathy for why they did it. And I, and I, even I do have that empathy, even for the man that uh, abused me like that. And for the guy that I was with, that was emotionally and then uh, in the end, physically abusive to me. Um, I had empathy for him, but that doesn't mean that it's okay. Like that, yeah. that doesn't mean you have to be with somebody. My therapist told me um, at that time when I was in that relationship with the, uh, um, the abusive guy, Scott, um, she said to me, you know, you can love him and still leave him. And that's really simple, but it is, was hugely like impactful to me. Do you think looking back now that you did love him? Oh yeah, I did. I really, but I loved him, but it was like, you love a cult leader because this yeah, guy yeah. really was a psychopath. Like yeah. he, I, I he knew things that I don't even know how he knew. I think that he probably followed me and other people. Yeah. He knew things about me that were, I mean, it was now looking back, I'm like, wow, that was really messed up. You know, he knew these, he, he just, he knew things. Uh, and, and then I caught at one point I was so like, he was so in my head that I started praying. And before I went to bed and I started praying to Scott, not God, like, I'm not kidding. It was really messed up. And then I, cause you know, you're like, you're starting to fall asleep and your brain, kind of goes in a, it just starts drifting. And I realized, I said, Oh my God, I was like, I'm praying. And I say, dear Scott. And I was like, Oh, oh. so messed up. Um, but he was, he was a mastermind. He was extremely intelligent. He was a full on psychopath. Um, yeah. yeah, there was, there was definitely some healing that went into that, but everything, all of this abuse that happened to me that made me feel like I wasn't worthy stacked up to lead me into this abusive relationship. But then leaving that relationship was really what empowered me to start healing from that abuse. Mm. The fact that I left the relationship and he wa it's not like he, he didn't leave me. I left him yeah. and um, he wanted to continue the relationship and he, he, he did crazy stalking things and all of that kind of stuff. But I did not, I finally broke up with him for real because we broke up many times. You yeah. know, it's, it's the classic um, uh, cycle of abuse. I would yeah, say. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, I mean, the thing that I'm always interested in for for people listening that this this is the worst part of interviewing people with stories like yours is I know there are a lot of people listening who are in the midst of this, either in the midst of the abuse right now or in the midst of what the abuse has done for them. And that's that's a that's a thing you don't come out of unless you get yourself out of it with help. You know, yeah. it's it's not like you said, it's not just like, well, I'm over it. Like anytime I hear someone say I'm over it and you notice they're still crying, I'm like, wait. <laughs> you, you don't just you don't just become over it. You have to yeah. do to be over it. So what so you you made that you made that conscious decision to leave him and that's an empowering thing and he made that very difficult and painful and I'm sure scary. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. So how do you come through from that? What is the work that you did to like once you have that spark of that little taste of empowerment finally and power, how do you bring that into the woman that you are today and in the relationship that you are today? Because it's so night and day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, so I I started my first therapy. So I'll go back a little bit. My first therapist that I saw in college um, was a man, Dr. Olmsted, and he was Your amazing. Choice. My choice, I you chose, chose a man. I wanted to work with a man. And he, he was very validating. So, and this is the first step is being able to tell your story and have it validated and heard. So my first step for me was that beginning therapy where I told my abuse up to that point story and he validated me, he heard it. He was the first person that told me this is real. And even thinking about it now, I'm tearing up because like it was, oh my God, it was so powerful to be able to tell my story and someone say, this was wrong. What happened to you? This was not okay. Your parents did not handle it. Well, this was effed up, you know, like it was not okay. Um, so that was my first step is just, and, and that's the work that I did with him. Um, he, I, he told my story with him. He helped me learn how to start setting boundaries and relationships. Um, and even start developing female friendships because, um, the bullying that I went through was with, females. And, um, so I had a lot of trouble and I, I still have some little things that come up with female relationships. So he, I, I, I made like my, a couple really good female friends during that time. And that was really healing for me. Can I ask you something? Yeah. The F- BK and his daughter, it's, it, did you ever see her as like, this is what put me in that situation? Like being friends with her was a dangerous thing. Absolutely. No, um, no, I, because she, I was four. So she was three. Yeah. She was so, she was a little girl and, um, I was, no, I always saw my parents as being the okay. culprits. Of so that. it's not yeah. like it started back with her that like being friends with girls is dangerous. No, it really started with the bullying. Um, it was the girls at my church when I was growing up, they did awful things. When, church camp, it was really bad. That's something so, I just can't understand. Yeah. It's like, it was isn't that supposed to be about loving God and peace and each other? And yeah, and instead, like the number of people who have these terrible stories of the meanness in church camp or some other like religious focused camp. I don't get it anyway. Sorry. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. yeah that's a whole other thing. But um, yeah. So, so there was a lot of healing there being able to reconnect with females. I had a great room, female roommate at the time in college in the dorm and everything. She was awesome. And she, she was really um, social and extroverted. So she helped me develop that sense of like, I'm somebody that people like, I'm fun. Mm. And so her being able to be vulnerable with a woman and not feel like I had to take care of her. Like I took care of my mom um, with her emotions and not being able to handle what happened to me. um, That was really healing. So the therapy and then being able to start building sort of this tribe of women not sort of, but it was, I built, I built my, started to build a tribe of women, um, who really encouraged me and empowered me. And, um, we went and had fun and, you know, just, I got to be young and not responsible for a little bit. It was yeah. great. So that was the first step for me. And that was huge. So the first step to put it in a, a bullet point, tell your story Okay. to somebody who's safe. Right. I mean, that's really important. And to me, choosing a therapist was very, obviously very intentional. Um, it, and it was, um, my therapist was recommended to me by one of my professors um, at the college I went to, or took a, 
um, in my intro counseling classes, and he recommended this professor, this um, this therapist to me because he had been a former student. Anyway, so choose a therapist. Um, and you know, sometimes it, you have to therapist shop and make sure you have a good connection, but find somebody you feel safe with and tell your story and then yeah. build relationships. You feel safe with and tell your story again. That's, that's what I did with my female friends. And I was able to tell my first boyfriend in college, I was able to tell him and he, he honored that he never pushed me to have sex with him. In fact, we never did have sex. Um, and when I say sex, I'm, uh, there are many types of sex. We did not have penetration sex cause I couldn't handle that. I'm not sure if that's what happened to me and the abuse or not, but that was something I couldn't handle. Sure. Um, was, it, was this after Scott? This is before Scott. Before Scott. Scott. Was, yeah. Scott was, um, after college. Okay. So there's, you know, like the, uh, yeah. So the healing takes a long time, right? So you keep putting, I mean, I kept, uh, recon, um, continuing this pattern actually until, um, until I met Jeff. So even uh, my first boyfriend was Jeff too. (laughs) So Jeff number one was really healing on many levels, but that we didn't have, I mean, we were both young. We, we didn't have like the most healthy relationship. Um, he loved his video games more than me, you know, typical, boy stuff. He was only 19 years old. Yeah. So we kind of broke up over the fact he was addicted to the game Quake. <laughs> but okay. but he was so wonderful in so many ways. Like very like we would sleep in the same bed together and I knew that he wasn't going to try something on me yeah. uh, until I was ready. We had um he would make out with me for hours if that's all I wanted to do. He was awesome. Yeah. So I had a healing relationship there. So the relational healing was part of it. He was a good kid. He was a good and we're still in touch. Yeah. He's, he's a lovely man. I just, yeah. Um, so that was a, that was a really good experience. Um, so I told my story and that, that phase left lasted a long time before I was ready to take it to the next level of, um, of healing, which I'll, I'll talk about, but, um, so getting into the relationship with Scott, that was after college and, um, Scott also on a sexual level was, I thought was healing because he was the first person I had sex with. And he was also, he was very patient. He wouldn't push me, all of that stuff. Um, But later I found out that he had been cheating on me when he was 30 years old with a 15 year old girl. So Uh like that, oh, like I thought you were safe and you weren't. And I, and he wasn't on many levels, but I still thought he was because he didn't push me sexually. So to me, that's what safe was. But I didn't understand. I didn't value. I didn't have the value and the worthiness, the feeling of worthiness of protection enough to know that it's not just sexually that a person needs to be safe. They need to be safe emotionally. And that so that was my next step is being able to choose relationships that were emotionally safe as well. Um, because even that he was sexually safe, that was a, that was, that was a lie. He wasn't, he just put me in the Madonna category and he went off and he got sex elsewhere that maybe, you know, that he wouldn't have with me. Yeah. The kind of sex he wouldn't have with me. Um, so part of that, so part of that healing, actually, this is interesting is that I put myself in a position to learn more about abusive men by, um, an internship I did, I worked at a place called Friends of the Family, and it and they had a shelter, and it was a relationship violence center. So I worked with survivors of relationship violence while I was in an abusive relationship. And then I also did the group therapy with the court-ordered um, men who had been sent to this, it's called Violence Intervention Prevention VIP program. Um, and so they were people who had the cops had been called, they had been convicted, they were abuse, they they were quote unquote perpetrators. That's what we called them. Um, one guy was so scary, he had just gotten out of jail. He held his wife and um, kids up on gunpoint for like 10 hours. And I sat right next to this man. Um, so I learned from that, that, that all of these guys who were abusive that I met through this all had the same story and they were all the, they all had, uh, they were all Scots is what I just call them Scots. Now they were all Scots. They all had these negative experiences. They had this 
sort this story that led up to them becoming abusive, um, which which is a pattern that kept getting repeated, right? So abuse is cyclical. I mean, it goes through generations. And that helped me to depersonalize Scott a little bit so that I could leave him. Mm. You see, like these, some of the guys that were in that program really wanted to work and they, they were wonderful guys. They didn't know how to handle their feelings. And some of these guys were beyond repair because they just didn't want to, and they didn't want to change how they saw women or how they dealt with their feelings and stuff like that. And so it helped me see the difference between people who really want to work to change versus people who you need to, you can love them and still leave them. Yeah. So that was really powerful because I saw like, Oh, all, Scott is like all of these guys in, in many ways and it helped me leave him. And, um, and when I left him, he broke into my apartment and assaulted me. So, I mean, yeah. it was not easy. And so I'm never telling anybody right now, just go leave him yeah. because you can't just do that. You have to have a safety plan. All of that stuff has to be in place. Even though I was making safety plans with a bunch of women at the time and working with these guys, I didn't have one for myself. And so um, luckily I wasn't badly hurt in the assault because I could have been, um, I hit my window, but there were drapes and I pulled them, which kept me from, he, he picked up my whole bed and threw it against the window and I was on it. Um, and so I could have gone through this window of my second floor apartment, but I, luckily I didn't. And so I had some bad bruises, but, um, after I can, I confronted him a little bit there. I don't even know how I had the strength to do that. And he left, I told him to leave and I threw my, his, um, I threw something at him. I don't remember what, but he left. So, and I, and that, that was it, you know, um, had he been violent with you before he'd been threatening, he would punch the wall next to me. He'd throw things near me, but he had not physically struck me. He would emotionally corner me. He would yell and be really big. And he would actually literally corner me in a corner and be yelling at me, but he did not, um, he did not physically attack me, but uh, almost it would have been better if he had, you know, it's like, yeah. it's that kind of thing of the emotional abuse was so bad. It messed me up so bad. I had, it took me a long time to heal from that. Um, because I mean, it was just, he really messed with my, with my brain. And I think that that just shows that, I mean, I was getting my master's degree in counseling psychology at the time. Um, it, it just shows that abuse happens anywhere and it's not, has nothing to do with your intelligence level. It has nothing to do with what you know or understand because it, it's just, it's such a, um, it, it's, it's such an emotional thing that it, it doesn't, logic does not come into it. Yeah. So that's crazy. Like I'm picturing the, the mattress and you going, you know, wow. Um, how do how do you move forward from that? Is it more just continued work? Is there something that you started to do differently? What what brought you forward? Yeah. Um. So the next step, actually, uh, the next step in that for me was some more relational healing. I had met Jeff at that point, uh, my husband now, and we were friends. And he actually was part of me seeing what was so wrong in the relationship with Scott, because he was not at all like that. <laughs> And he didn't, uh, I didn't feel like I was doing something wrong all the time with him and wasn't afraid that like things were going to look okay. And then all of a sudden I like totally, like we were going to get home and he was going to rail me about something like all of that was not there in that relationship. So my friendship with him helped a lot. And in fact, when Scott assaulted me, um, I went over and stayed the night at Jeff's apartment still as friends. Um, so he was there for that. And I read the book at the time. Um, this is where Imago therapy was really helpful to me. I read this book called Receiving Love, written by Harville Hendricks and Helen LaKelly Hunt, the developers of Imago therapy. Um, they have some amazing books about. Um, they look at the patterns that you that you have um, seen about love, what your primary caregiver shows you as love, and how we recreate them and our next relationships. And so I started to realize at the time, the patterns I was recreating from just my own reflection. I had a wonderful therapist at the time, Dr. Conti, female therapist this time. 
And so she worked through some of this with me. When Jeff and I started dating, he went to therapy with me to help understand my triggers because the triggers that I was having at this time um, is if anybody came in my room at night, I I would freak out. Like Jeff yeah. would come in and um, cause he would always go to bed later than me. He'd come in and I would be like, <gasps> you know, and, and just, I, I like, I, I don't even remember this. Sometimes I would remember it happening and he would soothe me and then I would go back to sleep. And sometimes it would happen and I didn't even remember it, but I, um, I definitely had that reaction. And then there, when there was anything that Jeff was even making a joke about, or he was, if he was like, we were watching TV and, and I thought he was like looking at a woman in a sexual way, which if, yeah, well, that's a normal thing for guys to do. And it's, yeah. it's okay because they're attracted. He was attracted and that was fine. He wasn't going to go rape the woman. But that to me, I would, the word that would come in my head is predator. And we realized if I started saying you're a predator, men are predators and all that stuff that I was triggered and that um, he needed to, what we learned what worked for me through therapy is that he, I needed him to hug me and reassure me that he was safe. Now that's not what everybody needs. So being able to talk through somebody, um, talk through this with and a professional about what to do during your triggers is really important. Um, I used to do things like I would go, he might say something and I would go hide behind my bed and cry. Um, I would get triggered into a four-year-old state mm. and um, I needed him to treat me like a four-year-old and hug me and tell me everything was going to be okay. Um, and, and really just baby, you know, like I needed him to just, um, treat me. I, I needed him to just hug me and comfort me and tell me that he was there for me. And so he and I did some of that work at that time. Um, and so that was that, that relational work was huge, but I, it still didn't stop me from having the triggers. Mm -hmm. So the next step that I went through and working through having the triggers was to do a kind of therapy called EMDR. And yeah. it's eye, I know you know of it. It's eye movement desensitization reprogramming, I think. I always forget what the R stands for. But basically what it is, is it's repro reprogramming your neural networks around events. So you're thinking of a traumatic event. And, and it does, it's not like you forget the event, but it takes away the message associated with it, with it and the emotional impact. So I started this kind of there. I didn't want to do it for a long time because you revisualize the things that happened to you yeah. and I'd rather just stuff them down <laughs> like that really helped. But that's what I, I rather kind of do that because also the, the story that I still had of you should be over this and stuff like that. But it started really impacting my sex life with Jeff. You know, um, he, he wanted me to be able to watch porn with him during sex and, and have that be a part of our sex life. And I was really triggered by porn because yeah. that had been a part of my abuse. I, I remember I, you know, I, I wasn't sure that that's what it was, but I, but I remember later that yes, there was porn watch during the abuse with BK. Wow. And so it was really triggering to me and all of these messages of Europe, you're, um, you're a predator, all of this stuff. Like I couldn't deal with that, um, with that. And I couldn't fully express myself sexually without feeling shame about my sexuality because of the fact even that masturbation was taken away from me through the sexual experience where I would feel dirty masturbating. So even that. Um, I wanted to be able to masturbate without feeling any shame, like mm. just the, the, so that is actually where I started. So I, I started doing the EMDR and then I started, um, being really working on just touching myself and masturbating without feeling shame around it with knowing that it's okay to give myself pleasure. It's okay to feel pleasure. Um, because he had, he had touched me with his hands. So even, um, I, I would masturbate using the shower head only because I couldn't touch myself. Um, so shower head is still awesome. Love the shower head. But I started incorporating more, um, more of just touching myself, masturbating, and then um, graduating to having Jeff touch me and um, being able to feel and, and enjoy that pleasure without shame. Uh, and, um, and that was, so that was 
really helpful in my healing too. So that's where I started while doing EMDR, while I'm working on neutralizing these images I had. Then I started doing the work at home somatically with myself where I'm touching myself. I am, I am telling myself, you know, you're, you're worthy of pleasure. Um, it's okay to feel good. Uh, and, and just, um, giving myself acceptance and love while allowing myself to have pleasure Mm -hmm. and then allow, and then the next step, allowing Jeff to give me pleasure that way. Um, so that, that was the next big step for me. And EMDR, I, I did that. I think I had a total, um, between two male therapists, um, I had, and, and the reason I switched therapists was just a, one of my therapists moved. That was all. I mean, I had a great experience with both of my male therapists and I, again, I intentionally chose men because I wanted to continue to work on the trust and see, um, and, and understand how these men, there were men who hurt me, but there were also men who wanted to be involved in my healing. Yeah. And that's a powerful thing that men can do. Um, that's something that, you know, I think, and that's another reason I love working with men because of the healing they can bring to women by understanding how they can help them feel emotionally safe. Uh, It's so powerful. And, and women, we, you know, I did my own healing for myself, but the healing that Jeff did with me was just as powerful as my own personal healing, if not more, because it was relational healing. Yeah. Um, so that was huge that, and that we, we did that work for a while and now, I mean, we have an amazing sex life now. I mean, we can incorporate a lot of things. I found that I like watching lesbian porn with him during sex and I like, and I, cause I had all these visions of what he was thinking and doing and they were all of these fears I had and I didn't even know what kind of porn he watched. And then it turns out he's really turned on by women's pleasure. And I'm like, Oh, this makes me feel even better. It's just that he loves women feeling pleasure and he wants to give me pleasure and just even me accepting pleasure from him without having to give back to him. Mm -hmm. That's something that women in general struggle with. So being able to work on that and just being like, yeah, I don't even have to give him an orgasm. Like I can have, I can say yes to the kind of sex I want and say no to the kind of sex I don't want. It's not even yes and no to sex. It's the kind of sex that I want. Yeah. was really empowering. Yeah. That, I think that phrase alone is missing for a lot of people is there, there becomes a sense of obligation in it. And if you're, maybe that's a litmus test for being in the right relationship where obligation doesn't enter the room at all. You both matter and you matter equally. And so what one of you wants is, you know, that's enough to define it. There doesn't have to be a quid pro quo. Like it, it's not a transaction. Yeah. Yeah. Like tran- transactional sex, right? That's yeah. a term people use. Yeah. That shouldn't yeah. be in a, in a, a true loving relationship that should, shouldn't really come to pass unless that happens to be your thing. But again, then it's not about the transaction. It's about there's something in creating that fake transaction kind of approach that you're enjoying. And so you're willing to do that for each other. Yes, absolutely. I'm not the expert involved. There's a lot of consent involved in figuring out those things together. And that's the most important thing is consent, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And connection, of course. But yeah. yeah. Um, And there is a third step. So first step, was telling my story and following through with relational healing and the EMDR. And then the next thing I did that was really powerful, and this was all about healing my inner child, my inner four-year-old, my inner 13-year-old, the ages that I uh, was when the abuse happened, was I did um, something that's called somato-emotional release. And I did this with my um, she's actually a good friend of mine. She's a craniosacral therapist. And somato-emotional release, I don't even have a good explanation for it. I would recommend anyone listening to um, this. You can look up craniosacral therapy or you can go to my podcast, Make More Love, Not War, and see the interview I did with Jana Moon because she is the craniosacral therapist I did somato-emotional release with. But basically what that was is that with her present, I was able to, uh, and somato is the body, right? So you're thinking of, I, with EMDR, I was releasing these things through my mind and with somato, see it's all together, right? Mind, body, spirit, somato, 
is more body spirit. It is body spirit based. And so I, um, I was able to talk to my four-year-old self, even talking about this, I'm, I'm going to, I'm getting teary again, but I was able to talk to her. I visualized her and I told her, um, you are safe. You are loved and you are worthy, which is something I tell my daughter every day. And she can quote it to me because I think it's something that everybody needs to know. And I told her that and she wanted to know if Jana also thought that about her. And Jana told her that, yes, she believed she was safe and loved and worthy. And um, my little four-year-old, she put her thumb in her mouth and she took a nap and she's okay now. Yeah. And it was, God, it was amazing. Like even just thinking about it. I mean, and after that, I have not been triggered. I have not been triggered ever again. Like it's not happened. That's beautiful. And it, so I can watch, like I can watch TV. I, I used to not be able to watch anything violent, which I still don't watch because I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm an empath. So I, I protect yeah, my, it's a lot my to soul, you know, but I mean, I can watch shows that have some violence or shows that have, um, sexual content. I can, I can be okay with Jeff having desire for somebody that's, or having arousal for someone that's not me because I know that it's not, I mean, it's just, it's okay with me. Like all those things are okay because I feel safe and loved and worthy. And I, and I did that. My adult self did that for my child self. And that's the most powerful thing is that I did that for myself and she's always protected inside of me now. And you do that for your daughter. So extending that on or, or more accurately breaking the pattern you had to go through yes. so that it doesn't continue on because that's like that story of the abusers who they come from some abusive traumatic backstory that has created the personality and the behaviors that are wreaking havoc on others. You're choosing not to do that and yes. you're ensuring that the next generation doesn't have to live that way. Yeah, and that's absolutely true for my story, too, because my mom was raised by an emotionally abusive dad. Physically, too, he shamed her. And so that's, I mean, I understand how they weren't able to help me more than they did because she didn't know how, you know. Um, and, yeah, I don't ever want my daughter to feel um, shame coming from me about her sexuality. Shame, I mean, shame coming from me about anything, but yeah. particularly that. Um and I want her to always know she's protected without feeling fearful, keeping a balance there. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing no matter what, you will always feel those things about her, that you were there for her safety, you love her, and you feel she's worthy and she should feel the same for herself, that it's always okay for her to talk to you about anything and to talk to anyone who feels those three things about her that that's a safe place and she has the support to do whatever she wants in life. Yes. It's kind of the greatest gift you can give as a parent. I think it is. I mean, it's the most important gift you can give. All the other stuff doesn't matter if she had piano lessons or not or whatever. I mean, <laughs> she goes into life feeling safe, loved and worthy. She has a secure attachment. She takes that everywhere. I mean, I had a secure attachment until my abuse. And then now I, I'm, I have secure attachments with certain people, but, I also have some anxious avoidance stuff going on because of that, you know, that I still comes up sometimes with Jeff that I have to be like, oh, you know, I am pushing him away right now intentionally mm. because I don't mm. want him to get too close, you know. So um, if you can give your child a secure attachment to take that into the world, I mean, that's the most important thing. Wow. That that alone is a powerful enough message to leave on. Um, but I want to respect I want to respect your journey and what you've learned and what you're trying to share. So uh, if there's more, we should talk about more. If not, I feel like that message of giving your child a secure attachment and what that can create for them for their life, like that's such a powerful... I, my son's out of town right now. He and his mom are at my in-laws and I'm like, I wish he was upstairs. Like I want to yeah. go hug him and tell him like you're you're safe and you're loved and you're worthy. Um, I, I can stay it over the phone. I feel like it needs some arms around him kind of thing. Yeah. But, uh, well, and I oh. think that's a powerful thing that I want to convey to everybody listening, no matter what anyone's ever told you, you are safe. 
inside yourself. I mean, it may not always be true that you're physically safe where you yeah. are, but you are loved and you are worthy. That's all there is. Yeah. It's a reminder to me why self-love is so important because that's the, ultimately with you, that's the one place you will always be safe, loved, and worthy if you allow yourself to be. That's the only yeah. person, no matter what, you know, you don't ever have to wonder about unless you choose not to support yourself the way that you deserve to be. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, normally I'd be like, so where can people find you? I'm going to, I'm going to put all that in the outro stuff. Cause I mean, you're welcome to say it if you want, but I feel like it just takes away from the power from this. This is uh, so beautiful. And so inspirational. I, I, um, I can't thank you enough for, for sharing so much of yourself through this. It's such a strong message. You're welcome. Um, I feel safe with you because we, I mean, we know each other and I got that feeling from the beginning, which is why I even I reached out to you and said I could talk about this message because I just felt like you know, you're a good person to talk to this about. No, well, I appreciate that. And I mean, that says something for where you're at that you could have that intuition about people because the flip side is everyone's a threat to me and I can't, you know, I can't talk to anybody because I don't know what they're going to do to me because all these other people seem safe until they weren't, or maybe I thought they were and I didn't understand what to look for, or they were, you know, Scott sounds like you use the word mastermind. Um, that is such an evil connotation to me. And you see all these people like Facebook masterminds. I'm like, wait, it's not a good, it feels like you're trying to take over the world. Um, so thank you for seeing that in me, but for what that says about where you are in your journey. And as a reminder to people who are in the midst of it, uh, there is a, a place you can get to that is extremely different from where you're at now. And there's yeah. help, help to be gotten. Absolutely. And for to where people can find me, um, I, I will say that if anyone's listening to this and they, they do want to work with me on these issues or any other relational issues, I'm a licensed counselor in the state of Texas. Uh, if you're in the state of Texas and near the Dallas-Fort Worth area, I have a practice here. But I also do online coaching. I have a, um, a coaching cer certification, and we can work through some of these things through that. Um, I think in person for really uh, for issues like this is, is very important. Yeah. But relational coaching I do online. Um, but I've, I've worked through with other people through this. And I think going back to that transparency, knowing I don't mind my clients knowing that I've been through something like this. And I think it's, it's good for them to know. I'm not going to make my story part of yours in any way, cause that's not therapeutic, but, um, but it's definitely something that I'm comfortable working with other people yeah. through. Um, and I don't do EMDR or somato emotional release, but I, I do think that first part of telling your story and learning how to love yourself is something you can achieve with their relationship with a therapist and yeah. with other people. And where can people find you if they do want to reach out? So my website is taraharrison.com. And so that will be on your page yep. because my name is spelled differently. The podcast is make more love, not war.com. If they want to listen to that and get to know me a little bit better, um, Twitter at Tara Harrison. I think that's, I'm, I'm on yeah. Instagram too, but I think it's make more love, not war.com. Make More Love, Not War podcast is the Instagram. I'll, I'll find it and link to it. Okay. And I'm also, I'm going to link to that episode with Jenna Moon. Um, okay. So they can hear yeah. more about craniosacral and uh, somato-emotional release specifically. Because um, that's really, that's that's great for people to listen to. I've had some experience around EMDR um, and craniosacral. It's a world a lot of people should be exposed to. There's there's a lot of um, a lot of benefit to be had. Absolutely. And especially if you're not at that step where you can talk about it, but your triggers are so bad that you can't get through daily life, EMDR really helps with that because you don't have to tell somebody your story with EMDR. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're not at that place where like, I can't even tell my story, but I need relief, EMDR is great for that. So I would highly recommend it. You don't have to follow my three steps in, in, in order. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is just what worked for me. Yeah. No, that's great. Are you ready to help me close the show out? Absolutely. All right. Today is a new day. Go out and do it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tara. Thank you. What a kind, loving, caring person. I love 
that message for you know, for her daughter's sake, but for everybody that you know you are safe and you are loved. Like that's that's so important. And then she adds that third piece that really resonates with me around you're worthy. You don't deserve this. You deserve good and better. Those are three things I think we all need to remind ourselves of every single day. And if you're not given that yourself when you're, you know, coming up like Tara wasn't, uh, you do have the power to give that to yourself as an adult. Uh, you know, that moment where she goes back to her childhood self and tells her that is, uh, is really beautiful. And it's so awesome how she's ensuring her daughter knows this growing up. You're safe. You're loved. You're worthy. Three things we all need to repeat to ourselves on a regular basis. I think the world would be a far better place if we all felt that about ourselves. And of course, hopefully it's true that you're safe, but she reminds us like you may not be physically safe, but you can be internally safe in who you are, that you're the right person that you need to be and that you deserve better. It's, it's, a, it's a really powerful thought, and I think it can lead us to making better choices for ourselves, getting ourselves into better situations, seeking help when we really need it, maybe to get us to that safer situation. It's incredible stuff. Um, and again, a huge, huge thanks to Tara, not just for having me on her show, for being on mine, but for all that she gave me in helping to bring 5075-100 out. So make sure you have my updates, you're subscribed to my updates so that you know when that's coming out so you can check it out. You can see the forward from Tara. And uh, we're actually working together right now so that she actually reads the forward for the audiobook. I think it'll be nice to have a little bit of uh, a different voice in the audiobook other than just mine. I'm excited for that. Um, all right, I was going to say a whole thing about not liking to hear my voice, but that's not worthy. That's not self-love, so I'm not even going to go there. Maybe I kind of just did. Um, anyway, let's move on. Let's close this up. I hope you're feeling a bit of beauty about yourself. Maybe there's a bit of sadness for things you've experienced or for, for Tara. Maybe it's empathy. Um, but look what she's become. You know, there is hope for all of us. It's all about how we treat ourselves moving forward when we're out of these situations that can be so traumatic and painful. So thank you tremendously to Tara for her openness, her honesty, and her words. I think they're uh, unbelievably necessary for so many people out there. All right, with that, I will close things out. Thank you so much for joining me, for listening to this. I hope it touched you. I hope you come back for another one. And the only way you can do that is if you get up each day and you go out and do it. Thanks, everyone.